Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 568. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. And to the farms that grow those blooms, it's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Today, we are celebrating our ninth anniversary of the Slow Flowers podcast. Yes, folks, this is the first ever flower podcast and the longest running series with 469 episodes and counting, all free for your education and enlightenment. It's truly amazing to look back on how this show has become the voice of the Slow Flowers movement. Ever since our first episode, number 100, broadcast on July 23rd of 2013, we've brought you into the Slow Flowers movement up close and personal with hundreds of inspiring and intimate conversations with individuals who are deeply immersed in growing specialty cut flowers and designing with them. Our guests have been advocates for a sustainable, safe, and local supply of seasonal floral ingredients, and they share their stories with heart and passion. One year ago, to mark the 8th anniversary, we added a video component to the Slow Flowers podcast, so you have a chance to watch the conversations as well as to listen to them, including seeing videos of flower farm tours and floral studio tours. We hope you value this content created specially for our Slow Flowers community. It is such a privilege to be your host as I share new episodes week in and week out. Can you believe it? For nine entire years. As we enter our 10th year, this means we'll be making a big splash in sharing more people and their flowers with you. In another milestone of celebration, I'm devoting 2022 to a year-long focus that revisits a book I wrote a decade ago, The 50 Mile Bouquet, published in 2012. Today's guests are featured in the pages of this pioneering book, published by St. Lynn's Press with photography by David Perry. The chapter about Peter Court Roses is titled The Last Rose Farm in Oregon and continues, For three generations, the Peter Court family has produced beautiful roses domestically, despite relentless competition from South America. Peter Court Roses, led by siblings Norman Peter Court and Sandra Peter Court Lobenthal, has been raising hybrid tea roses for the floral trade since the 1930s. The third-generation family farm produces millions of stems annually in historic glass greenhouses outside of Portland. I have visited Norman and Sandra on several occasions, but this week I made a point of traveling to their greenhouses to record our conversation. Learn what's been happening at this unique and resilient flower farm over the past decade and gain new insights on how they've diversified and made innovations to keep their farm going stronger. Let's jump right in and meet Sandra and Norman and learn more about their roses and other floral crops.
Well, this is part two of our visit to Petercourt Roses, and I want to reintroduce Norman Petercourt and Sandra Petercourt Lobenthal, brother and sister dynamic duo. Thank you guys so much for letting me come visit you here in Hillsborough, Oregon. I um, want to just ask you a few questions about what's happening with Peter Court. And just because like, people are going to watch the tour of the greenhouses and want to know how they can get the ha their hands on your flowers. So Norman, can you give us a snapshot of like what, what your crops are and kind of pieces of the pie, how it breaks out, and then we'll talk about marketing. Okay, well, our, our main crop is still roses. Uh, we do lilies year-round, but not in a, a large volume. Uh, ranunculus, and we've just started doing some um, hellbore. Coxcomb. Don't forget the coxcomb. <laughs> and the coxcomb. Uh, what yes. about the, and the, you mentioned lilies. The, the lilies are there, yeah, year-round. And the, the, did I mention lisianthus? We're doing lisianthus. So a little bit more all the time. So when I first met you and came, well, first of all, I think I first learned about Peter Court from Melissa Fevier of Terabella. She was buying from you back in like the late, like 2008, 9, 10, in that period when I first met her. And um, I was so inspired to know there was a rose grower in the Pacific Northwest. And then eventually I got to meet you and come visit you when we were working on the 50 Mile Bouquet. And... Um, your story is amazing. Uh, well, it's in the 50 model case, so I won't retell the whole thing. But here you are coming up. You're in year 99 of this business. <laughs> right. Um, but a lot has changed in the last 10 years. So, Sandra, maybe you can talk a little bit about the highs and lows of what what the last decade has been like for Peter Court. It used to be Peter Court Roses. I mean, some people still say Peter Court Roses, right? We still are Peter Court Roses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, the original company name was J. Peter Court and Company. Uh, but now we're, the flower growing aspect is Peter Court Roses. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, highs and lows. I think, I think the whole thing has been just recalibrating how to make it work. Because we had a, we had a business model that worked really well for a long time. And that was like a lot of roses. And in the winter, we had holly and we had cymbidium orchids. And between all that stuff, it, it worked uh, because we had a pretty good customer base. Uh, the whole rose thing was so different back then. Was it mainly Northwest customer base? Uh, we had some big wholesale customers uh, it, back in the Midwest okay. as well. Okay. But they were, uh, they were wholesale consignment customers. Mm-hmm. Mm and uh, so, of course, over the last, you know, 20 years, I'd say, um, that whole thing has become very, very different. And mm -hmm. we thought we could still grow roses in the winter, but we, we realized we had a fire in 2014, and it really it affected our, what our, our winter growing area was going to be. We had to tear everything out. Um, did we and, go through the area where the fire took place? Yeah, it was the first rose area we looked at. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness, it looks yeah, you, like you can't, it. I didn't point out some of the telltale signs, <laughs> <laughs> the burned things that are still there, but uh, yeah, it wasn't, it was a fire that consumed the energy curtains okay. and it dropped burning material onto a lot of uh, plastic growing, you know, irrigation and stuff and Damaged kind of melted of a lot of stuff yeah. and Sandra so I think we actually did an interview out. after the fire maybe I'm going to dig it out and attach it to our show notes so you, I won't put it on this episode but if anyone wants to go back and hear that 
the aftermath. Um, yeah. You know, it, to me, it says that you're how resilient Peter Court Roses is. You know, it's just. We had amazing amount of volunteers that came mm -hmm. out. We had two or three uh, kind of cleanup parties where they helped us take all the buckets of things out of the greenhouse and because we had to kind of throw everything out and redo yeah. it. So but it kind of wiped out that rose area and, and part of the lily area. Yeah. Between of twenty fourteen it happened a few days before Christmas, I think, in twenty fourteen and between then and the spring of 2015, we basically, all we had, we were selling just maidenhair for a while. And, and then we had, uh, we had some lilies after they got big enough to bloom <laughs> because the ones that were there got kind of melted and mm. they had burning stuff drop mm -hmm. on it. It's just, and I think something about the burning plastic affected them too. So did that, good. that kind of force you to re, think how you grew roses was that the 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 the, the incident that caused it i don't think we were heating that much in the winter we well we were we had yeah. cut we had cut down to just one area we were going to heat all winter and that's the area that had the fire mm -hmm. so yeah i think that, it sort of that was it okay. <laughs> i just said all right never mind we're not going to do this anymore and even though it's people still come up to the in the market and say like in January and say, where's the roses? You know, I mean, years later, we haven't been doing this for a while. Isn't it so. funny? People just assume you still are the year-round rose company. Yeah, which just didn't work. Anyway, the, the whole process of recalibrating, and Norman figured out that how we could grow ranunculus pretty well and some beautiful, beautiful ones. We just tried different things, and, and uh, some things work and some things don't. Mm -hmm. Are these things that crops that you had been thinking about? Adding anyway, well, I was just looking for crops that we could grow cool. And so any anytime I heard about a crop that was grown cool, I'd go, well, that's something we should think about adding because because it's just too expensive to heat. Mm -hmm. So um, so if I can grow it cool, that's what I'm looking for. So that would be the ranunculus and... Ranunculus, anemone, freesia, uh, hellbore, all that stuff. You're not doing sweet peas, are you? Sweet peas, no. Yeah. No, even you though... You said that your grandparents grew it, so I was just yeah. thinking that might be fun to add next year. We probably won't do that Sandra one. Sandra <laughs> can start the seeds in the basement. <laughs> yeah, I have my limits. Let other people do sweet peas. No, I think the crops that you've mentioned also are premium crops. You want to get top dollar for we, we like that, that crop, right. Well, we have to make it work. You know, yeah. we have our employees. You know, we have like 12 employees, and all the overhead and all the stuff oh. we have to pay for uh, is not cheap, right. so... We were happy we were able to keep everybody on after the fire. Uh, we didn't lay anybody off, and uh, that was good. Yes, um, that's that's incredible yeah. testament to your your I don't I don't know character of perseverance. how you value yeah, perseverance <laughs> and how you value a family-owned business. Well, you also um, I don't know if it's fair to say survived COVID. I mean, did you take because weddings and events ground to a halt? Like, did Dad? Did that force another surprising. change? It was kind of surprising. Sandra kept the, going to the market all the time with double masks and everything. And <laughs> I was wearing a mask and a bandana. <laughs> and so was my coworker, Primitivo. And, and, uh, well, we 
We were lucky that the market stayed open. So uh, the market was fell under agriculture. The the Portland in, in Oregon, the Oregon the, Flower Growers Association. It was a different situation okay. than Washington. Yeah, yeah, so we were able to be open. Had you know a lot of protocols to make it safe for people, and uh, people told me they felt safe coming in there. So that was really good. And it all kind of started happening in the in the spring when we were just about to have a big ranunculus crop and our our. Uh, fellow grower Grant Hubrich was about to have a big tulip crop. So, uh, and interestingly enough, a lot of people wanted to send flowers to their friends. They couldn't go out and see them. So there was the, the local florists did okay. I mean, they didn't do wonderful, but they did okay and they survived. And uh, they patronized that, you. Well, I think part of the thing was there wasn't a lot of flowers available coming in yes. from, from anywhere. So Shipping we were broke one of the, down. One of the few yeah, that the, was still there. That's a good point. It yeah. it was kind of crazy. The wholesalers couldn't get flowers. Um, it was reliant on local production. I mean, it was a un- yes. very unusual situation. So you were the solution for a lot of people who maybe were used to just ordering online or something and getting a box shipped to them. Yeah, they just couldn't get what they were used to getting, mm-hmm. and they maybe tried something a little different. And, you know, found it to be okay. And oh. luckily we had those really, really nice ranunculus uh, at the time. Early, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right, to fill in between Before Valentine's the Day and the rose season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. COVID hadn't really hit at Valentine's. It, no. it happened around St. Patrick's Day mm-hmm. and then yeah. after that. So. Yeah, yeah. And so Mother's Day, it was kind of crazy <clears throat> for us. Yeah. Yep, and you didn't take any time. I mean, you didn't skip a beat, it sounds like. Even though the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market wasn't open for a few months, Portland kept the, Portland the pipeline going. The Portland Market was open, and, yeah. and we were working every day. Well, thank goodness. Hopefully, that's beyond us, and now we're just living with it. Not, we hope. <laughs> not, we're trying to be victorious. Um, I wanted to talk about just the demand for your flowers now. Uh, for you know wholesale sales because you don't really have retail customers, do you? Is it almost no, everything we to don't, the we trade? We don't sell anything retail. Okay, so how just for people who are watching this and know about your roses, but have always wondered how they can get their hands on them in the Pacific Northwest, you want florists to go to your two wholesale outlets, Seattle and Portland, right? Primarily. Yeah. Prim- primarily, we we do a little bit of shipping inside of Oregon, Washington, but but, but if you have access to the Oregon Flower Growers or the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, that, that's that's really the and best we, way. And we sell through the wholesalers in Portland as well, Frank Adams Wholesale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, people can order from us directly and then come into the Portland market to pick up if they're a florist, and or they can order from Frank Adams Wholesale. And, and so do you manage all of those orders then, Sandra? We, we, yeah, both of us. It's pretty do. much by phone still, or? Oh, no, it's mostly email. Okay. Email is good because there's a written record. Um, and, you know, we don't have the staff to do that many phone calls. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have, like, an online form or anything, do you? We do on our website. Okay, mm-hmm. okay good. I'll um, share that with people. Yeah, it's something that uh, if they want to order they can use it we prefer a direct email rather than going to their website and no dms on instagram right <laughs> it'd be better if they didn't although i i feel i feel like that person in the, the office where he said here's my pager number here's my cell phone i never take vacation i never take sick leave i think it was uh who was that crazy guy on the office yes <laughs> uh, anyway uh, because i Michael. get him my 
my phone is buzzing, my Instagram, my, you know, they're coming in all over, but we really prefer the email. So we have a nice record. Of, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and please put your business name. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, for people outside the Pacific Northwest, Norman, you've really got a system for how you can take orders and fulfill orders and ship. I mean, shipping is the trick, right? You've mm-hmm. sort of cracked the code on that? I don't know about crack the code, but uh, I've got some very experienced people that, that can pack a good box. And, uh-huh. and um, yeah, if, if you contact us through the website or, or email us uh, directly, we can we can usually put together an order, and um, we have a lot of good customers all over the country. Mm-hmm. Florists and florists. flower farmers who do weddings, for yeah. instance. So yeah. that's interesting. So far, the farmer florist is also that is a thing. Yeah, I, I that is so interesting because they probably grow most of what they need except for roses. Yeah, so I mean they, it's hard to if you have a wedding and sometimes you need specific colors and or sometimes the deer have come in and truly eaten all your. I mean that that. Somebody e- emailed us plaintively and said, well, all I seem to grow is deer food. Oh, dear. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's a, such a big But bummer. at least they feel like they're offering their clients American-grown roses, domestic yeah. roses. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the people who are buying are wedding and event florists who need volume of one color probably, which a lot of micro-flower farmers can't supply, like 100 white roses or something, right? Is that what you're seeing? Uh, Usually people order a a mixture of things, Mm -hmm. uh, typically. I mean, sometimes they'll concentrate on a a lot of one thing, but but they they tend to like a, you know, a little bit of spray, a little bit of garden, a little bit of standard rose, and some some color variation. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. always nice. Well, you have the, you just listed the three that you have. You have the standard rose, the spray rose, and then the garden rose growing in the greenhouses, mm-hmm. what are the, what is the quantities, like what, or how many varieties do you have in those categories? Or does it change from year to year? It does a little bit of change from year to year, but do you have any idea? Uh, well, we have over 50 varieties All and together. I haven't. Of, of that mix, of, of those three. Those three yeah. things, yeah. yeah. And you kind of see where the color trends are going and. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's fun. I love that part. <laughs> So what's the hot uh, rose color for next year? Wow. Well, uh, this year we have, of course, the blush is still big and white, um, but the the those sort of I call them naughty French lingerie colors, (laughs) (laughs) like quicksand and Metalina and those kind of those kind of like. I don't really want to say dirty, but that's sort of, yeah, neutral colors and brownie, Mm -hmm. beigey colors. And then there's also seems to be kind of a lavender thing going on. Um, And some people are putting lavender with uh, kind of a peachy tone. Mm -hmm. And, oh, and then there's this golden, golden bronzy thing, too. The bronzy thing. Yeah, the bronzy thing. So anything but primary, it seems like. Not so much primary. Sounds, yeah, there's a little bit all, all the time. A little bit of everything, uh, but straight pink doesn't seem to be very. Well, I've been getting some hot pink you? lately. Yeah. Hot pink, maybe. Yeah, hot pink. But, but that lavender is interesting. I'm seeing that in other, like you probably can't really. You can get that lavender color in, in an anemone, but not a ranunculus. Right. That, no, no lavender ranunculus. Not yet, yeah. anyway. And you can get it. You can get that lavender color in freesia. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite as pewtery as the roses, yeah. but 
It's interesting. Yeah, I had people try to order lavender ranunculus, but... <laughs> and we always have to... <laughs> what do you try to talk them into instead? I, I just, we I, have to just kill their dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is exciting to revisit what's going on. And I guess I just want to end by asking you, first of all, Peter Court coming up on a 100-year anniversary, which you mentioned. Congratulations. You two are intrepid. And you, you've nurtured and, and stewarded a family business long before the idea of slow flowers and local flowers was a thing. I mean, this you were just doing your business and fulfilling the florist demands. So uh, I guess what I would say is you adapt, you adapt and you are willing to change. And a lot of people don't. And that's why you're still here. Right. It's the survival thing. <laughs> Well, we are kind of uh, German ancestry. We're somewhat stubborn. stubborn. There's that. Mm -hmm. You're <laughs> so, channeling your grandparents. Persistent. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, also the flower business, you know, has been good to our family. And so we. I just had the confidence that it can be good again. And I think we're finding that, yes, it's been really great that florists are wanting to, to buy U.S. produced flowers. Right. Really. Right. So it's really doing. confirming, a, I guess it's like an affirmation yeah. for me. I think so, too. <laughs> Anything you want to wrap up with, Norman? Any final thoughts? Like, what are you excited about for next year? Well, we're, we're excited to be doing more of the hellebore. And um, we're going to add, we're going to make the anemones a bigger crop and, and try to add more ranunculus. Good. Good. I'll wait. I'll wait for those to show up at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. And uh, uh, my my goal is to get more anemone to this Seattle Wholesale Growers Market ooh, this winter. Okay, you heard it here, everyone. <laughs> well, congratulations on um, just all that you've done. I guess next year we're going to have to do something together to celebrate your 100 year anniversary. And thanks for saying yes when I ask you to be part of this little book project, the 50 Mob Okay. When you know none of us knew where it was going to go. <laughs> No, thank you, your, your celebrity spokesmodel. Um, I'm going to share the PDF of the Peter Court story in our show notes, which was called The Last Rose Grower in Oregon, I think. And, um, I think it was, yeah. And um, even 10 years ago. So other companies had gone by the wayside even in the after the first part of the new century. Um, right. Our cousins yeah. were in it, and they, they got out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for hanging in there. Thank you both so much. Thanks. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Deborah. much for joining us today. Last week's episode included a visit to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative. As you heard us discuss, Peter Court Roses is not only a founding member 
of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, but their family was also a founding member of the Oregon Flower Growers Association, which opened in Portland in 1942 as a farmer-owned wholesale hub. Pretty amazing history for one boutique specialty cut flower farm. Shop for Peter Court roses at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, and if you're in Portland, you can often catch Sandra and her roses in their stall at the Oregon Flower Growers Association, which is at the Portland Flower Market. You'll want to check out our show notes for Slow Flowers Podcast, episode 568 at slowflowerspodcast.com. Next week, I'll share a link to the Peter Court chapter from the 50 Mob Bouquet and lots of photography of their beautiful flowers. A few more sponsor thanks. Thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Grow Flowers. Farm Grow Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With an elegant and easy-to-use system, Details improves profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details all in one platform. All friends of the Slow Flowers podcast will receive a seven-day free trial of Details Flowers software. You can learn more at detailsflowers.com. Thank you to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh-cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. You can learn more at cafgs.org. And thank you to Storic Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. Save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot and an air conditioner. Don't have time to build your own? They also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 870,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then.